Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Steve Stratos continues our series in 1 John with a sermon titled, A Pastoral Reminder. Let's listen. We've been on a journey together through the letter uh, that John writes, the first epistle of John. And John is at the later stages of his life, and he's writing both to um, encourage, to warn, and to help us um, come to know Jesus in a deeper way. I mean, the word that John uses over and over again and what he's communicating, that we have the possibility, that it's possible that we could know God and that we can know God personally. We can know God intimately. And in knowing him, our lives can be different. And so you have heard us, and Ryan did a great job last week, just addressing the issue of what it means both to love the world and not love the world. And the word that John uses over and over again about the possibility of knowing God is an intimate word. It's not just knowing about, or it's not just having the content or the knowledge of, but it's an intimacy that he wants us to have with the Father. And he communicates that in the very beginning of the letter by saying, I was there, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. And I want to share that experience with you because I want you to have that experience as well. And then he began to talk to us about growing as a a follower of Christ and that in the book of of John, 1 John, there are these tests, so to speak. There's the um, moral conscience obedience test that we talked about in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, that when we obey him and walk like him, we can know him. And then he talked to us about the relational test, how important it is for us to love one another, because to say that we love God and not love each other makes us to be a liar, and the truth's not in us, and we're walking in darkness, because how can we be a people who do not love what God has created in his image. And then we're going to see doctrinally that um, there is real truth in understanding who this Jesus is in the atonement and who the Antichrist is in terms of wanting us to not embrace this incarnational God who's made, known, made himself known to us in the material world. And, and we've been hammering at that. So I, at times I, I wonder, you know... Um, what else does John have to say? And I realized as, as um, and Ryan and I talked about this, man, what he was trying to cover last week said, boy, we could have made three sermons out of that, you know. And so there's a parenthesis that, that John um, engages in in the second chapter, verses 12 through, 10, 12, 12 through 14. And, and I think it's important for us to know it because I think John wants to reinforce the understanding that God is really for you. He's really for me. He's for us. He loves us. And it's always um, a reminder of this great God because while we're not supposed to love the world, we also hear John say, God so loved the world because even as we come to church this morning and we look at the mountains, we love the world. When we think about each other, we love the material sense of who we are as those who have been created in the image of God. We love people. Amen. The gifts that 
have been given to you and I to do different things. Um, it's a part of God's gifting because he loves the world. If you love to fish, God loves to fish. And when you think about being a carpenter or a plumber or whatever that might be, we can love God through those things. And so as we think about our life, I think it's important that we don't lose sight of that. I remember uh, a little while ago reading some things about some kids, and it's always great when somebody asks kids, what do you think love is? What does love mean? And I remember uh, one little boy, Jonathan, said, well, I watched my grandmother get really old. And you know what love is, that when your grandmother gets so old that she can't paint her toenails, your grandfather paints them for her. And, I said, and he said, that, that's what love is. Or, or one little boy says, said, uh, love is something you know when people call your name because when they call your name the way that they say it, you know that your name is safe in their mouth. So you think kids, man, kids, they say it, right? They say it, they say it well. One little girl who was doing a piano recital and was looking out into the audience and very daunted by it and, and a little bit panicky, she saw, as she looked out into the audience, she saw her dad and he was smiling and he was cheering her on and going and she knew she was loved and it made it okay. And so I think what John is trying to do here in these couple of verses is trying to help us to remember the beauty of the gospel is not based on our performance. The beauty of the gospel is based on what God has done. So I want to read to these verses and, and just come back to them. So let me read 1 John 2, 12 through 14. Because John's going to say these things to us that I think are very much words of encouragement. As a, He gets pastoral here. He gets... He gets this old, you know, he's probably, they say, maybe 85, and he stops to think about the heart that he wants to be communicated of God because he knows we can get discouraged. Probably this week, there's something that's happened that's discouraged you. There's something that uh, has transpired in your family. There's maybe some thoughts you wish you didn't engage in, maybe some words you communicated to a loved one, maybe you didn't live up to your own expectations. And it's so easy in a broken world to be discouraged. And so here is John wanting to encourage us. So listen to what he says. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Would you pray for me, with me for a moment? Father, I would just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to these truths, because as we think about what this gospel represents to each and every one of us, I pray that we would hear these words and, and be encouraged by these words so that we might recognize that as we move forward in our desire to be more like Jesus, that our biggest cheerleader is Jesus himself. 
And so, Father, I pray that for those that, that maybe have experienced some discouragement this week, they would just hear the, the pastoral heart of John and be encouraged in the truth that we build our foundation on. And I ask in Christ's name, amen. amen. So there, there are two things that John wants us to know in these little verses. He says it over and over again, I write unto you, I write unto you, I write unto you. Actually, six times he says it. And he says it so that he can reiterate it so that we'll go away with it. Because John wants us to know three truths. And then he wants us also to know that this Christian life that we live is a process. You've heard me say it's not about the perfection of our life. It's about the the direction of our life. That this walk that we are on the journey, this walk of faith, is one that is one step after another after another. It's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And John understands that we can be discouraged if we lose track of the foundation upon which we're to build our life. So he's going to communicate here three truths that we need to have foundationally in our life to keep us from being discouraged as we live out the process of sanctification. That is the process of becoming more like Christ. And so look with me at these, at these truths that I think it's important. Truth number one is that he wants us to remember that our sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Look at verse 12. He says this, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Don't forget that your sins are forgiven. And they're not forgiven. If you ask people sometimes, are your sins forgiven? Sometimes people say, well, I hope so. <laughs> or they might say, you know, I, 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 rep- I repented last week. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about. And I'm not saying those things aren't wrong. But you're not forgiven because you repent. You're not even forgiven if you believe. God has forgiven you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Adam, you realize this, right? You are sinners not because you sin. You sin because you're sinners, and you're sinners is because you were born in Adam. And whether you like it or not, you were born in Adam. That's the first Adam. But equally and more powerfully wonderful, because the first one isn't so wonderful, is that you were saved in Christ. You were forgiven in Christ. And as it was true of the last or the first Adam, it is true of the last Adam. And in the last Adam, his death, burial, and resurrection was purposed by God that your sins would be forgiven. It isn't how much you repent. It isn't even how many tears you shed. It isn't how many times you ask for forgiveness. John wants you to know you are forgiven on account of his name. You are forgiven because Jesus went to the cross and paid for your sins was buried and raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and you are in Him. Now, 
<laughs> and I'm going to forgive my brother when he gets a little loud here. But uh, as we think about this life that we live, John wants us to understand that the foundation of our life is not based on what I do, but it's based on what Jesus has done. And so as we live out our Christianity, it's not to say that God doesn't call us not to sin. That is the sanctification process. We're supposed to get to be a people that are more like Christ and more like Christ and more like Christ. But he who is without sin, John says, is a liar. So there is none of us in this room that have arrived. God bless John Wesley. We couldn't tie his shoes, but I don't believe in sinless perfection. The reality of each and every one of us as we move forward, we find ourselves this week. It's like we all know we get our hearts right before we go to church and then we fight with our wife along the way. I mean, how many times has that happened? So the beauty... (laughs) Are you married? Oh, Father, bless my brother. Help us Pentecostal urges to be overcome and give him grace. So when we think about this, this truth that John is trying to communicate, you are forgiven on account of it. it it's, it's foundational in the sense that God, John wants us to understand the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't even know, think about Jeremiah says that the whole head is sick, the the heart is desperately wicked. I don't even know if I repent enough. And if I have to base my Christianity off of what I do, whether it's enough or not, then I'm missing the point. And every time I find myself in that place where I'm in need of sin. I think that the sin that I'm in need of forgiveness for is something that is dependent upon my prayers, my repentance, my asking for sorrow. But John says, no, you have been forgiven. Now, that isn't to give us excuse for sin. That is to give us a foundation of life in Christ so that performance and religion doesn't become a part of our growth process. So when he says these truths, he says, according to my name, listen, let's face it, nobody's as sorrowful as we need to be. And the truth of the matter is, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And so when John is writing to the believers that he's trying to encourage to live a better life, he says, if you're going to live a better life, may the truth of the gospel, may the love of God, may the forgiveness according to his name so melt your heart that you, as the Apostle Paul would say, are compelled by the love of God to live for him. So that's the first thing that John says. And that's a, that's a word for all of us. We, as, as God's children, we oftentimes are, are in a place in our lives where we want everything to be the way that we want it, and we want it now, right? We find ourselves as little children, and, and you know what it's like if you raise little children. They want it now. They want it when they want it. But what God has provided for us in the gospel is the beauty of this 
forgiveness that is so foundational for us that when you're loved that way, you want to live for the one that loves, for the grace, for the mercy that he's been given to you. So he says, and listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, the certainty of the New Testament is that your sins are forgiven you. You have been forgiven for his namesake. If you therefore do not know that, it is because you're not clear about the doctrine, because you're still relying upon yourself, because you're not relying upon the finished, complete work of the Son of God for you upon the cross. It is because you do not realize the merits and the power of his blessed name. That name pleaded before God immediately assures pardon. The name that is above every other name. The name in whom all fullness dwells. The name that gives an entry to the courts of heaven and to the very presence of God. So are we clear about that? That our forgiveness is not based on our repentance, not based on our apology, not based on our tears, not based on how many times I turn over. Our forgiveness is based on the account of his name, and his name is what the finished work is all about. That's the gospel. And the truth of that is what sets us free, to get up, to move forward, and to say, God, thank you for loving me despite me, for loving me in the midst of my sin, and for encouraging me through the foundation of this forgiven to live a life more like you because I want to be like you. So he prays on account of his name. And, And truthfully, as we think about being little children, we need a whole lot of forgiveness understanding because you know what kids are like. We, they want their way when they want it. Yeah, I mean, think of... Think of the life of, think of your life as a believer, and and I I trust this is true, that as you grow in this process of child to young man to father, you find yourself growing, as John would say, in more intimacy with God. So wherever you might be, and there are times in our lives where we're little children. There are times in our lives when we're young men. There are times in our lives when we're fathers. And there's also times in our lives when we revert back to one of those because our life as a follower of Christ is one in which it's one step after another after another. So he writes to them, I write to you, little children, that you know this, that your sins are forgiven on the account of his name. The second thing that he says is that, you know, I am writing to you, verse 13, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he says this. And let me put it in the order of fathers, young men, and fathers. uh, Children, young men, and fathers. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You see, when he refers to forgiveness and when he refers to overcoming the evil one, He's talking to us about the foundation of our life, that our victory is a victory that we have in Christ. You and I, because greater is he, John will say this later in chapter four, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
that we are overcomers because the victory that we walk in is the victory that has been given to us through the gift of the finished work. And when we are in Christ, we are victorious people. And as he has openly made a display of those that darkness, and, and the writer of uh, Colossians says it well in Colossians 2 and verse 18, he says, Jesus has made an open show of publicly triumphing over the enemy, and that victory is our victory. So listen, young men, as you're grappling, as you're trying to mature, as you're moving forward, as you're struggling with your, with your faith life, you have victory in Christ. That's the gospel. And so when you find yourself, which we all do at different times, stumbling, failing, not always making the right decisions, discovering sin in our life, thinking we are over something only to fall again into it, and we discover that while we might love Jesus, our character isn't what we want it to be, and all that God is calling us to is only that which is of a beginning. And so when he says, young men, you have overcome the evil one. You're victorious, and so all of us live in the confidence that is ours. It's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, and he says, let us therefore go to the throne of grace boldly to obtain grace and mercy in our, in our time of need. Why? Because we're God's children, and we have read the end of the book, and we've won. We win. We're victorious. You've overcome the evil one. And a part of why that's so important is because the evil one is always whispering in our ears, you should have, you could have, you would have. Why did you do that again? You, I don't understand how often you're going to fail in that way. And that guilt and that shame and that whisper and that darkness wants to settle into our hearts and to our souls and lie to us and tell us that we're not what God has called us to be, what God has made us to be. Not only are we forgiven, but we have overcome the evil one. And how do we overcome that evil one? He says it in, in this verse, he goes down verse 14. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You know, there are times in our lives where the things of this world can easily discourage us. The things of this world can, can bring doubt into our life. I remember when Bruce was here and he spoke a couple of years ago after his son Jared had drowned in Diamond Lake. And I was sitting and talking to him and I said, Bruce, I know your family well. We've been hanging for 25 years. How are you doing? How are you doing this? And he, and he said this verse to me, Psalm 119.50. He said, you know, it is incredibly painful. But he said this, my comfort, is in my, my comfort in my suffering is this. God's promise preserves my life. You see, what John is saying, young men, you've overcome the evil one, and the word of God abides in you. When you and I came to Christ, Peter writes that it's the seed of the word of God that's planted in us through the word of God, through the spirit of God, that begins to grow into fruition, and that very seed is the birth of a new life. And it is that seed in us which Peter calls the seed of the word of God, 
that when it's planted in us through the Holy Spirit and when it grows in us as we hear the Word of God, it begins to develop a power of its own. It begins to help us to walk by faith. It begins to provide for us that shield of faith, that Word of God that helps us to live in the truth of the reality of our victory over the evil one. So when John writes, you've overcome the evil one and the Word of God abides in you, Oftentimes, the Word of God and the Spirit of God are interchangeable. What Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he says the very same thing in Colossians 3.16, except he says, let the Word of God dwell ritual in you, singing psalms and and psalms and, and spiritual songs. He says, when the Word of God is dwelling in you, that is a way to get a handle on the Spirit of God filling you. And when the Word of God is in you, and the Spirit of God, that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is a part of your life. And it is because it's been planted in there through the birth that we've been given in the Spirit. Amen. We're overcome. Yeah. We overcome the evil one. The Word of God abides us, our sins are forgiven. And so we're victorious. It's why the Bible says in Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Does it mean that we're not to continually press on? Does it mean that what John is asking us about obedience and the, and the character test, the moral test, that we're to walk in obedience to the word and the word is to be the content of our life and the word comes into our lives and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Of course not. Every day of our life, we want to grow, we want to be better, we want to be more mature, but that never has any impact on how much God loves us, how much God has forgiven us, how much victory is ours in Christ, and how we have the promise of overcoming. Amen. And when we stop doing and performing religiously and stop, start living in the freedom of the gospel, we begin to experience those truths because not a person in the room, even after accepting Christ, doesn't fail, doesn't stumble, doesn't struggle, doesn't sin. And John says, it's okay. You've been forgiven according to his name, and you have the word of God abiding in you, and you are strong because your strength is in Christ, and you have overcome the evil one, and the one that lives in you is greater than the one that is in the world. And then the final thing that he says here is in regards to fathers. And I think, you know, I think it's interesting when he says about the fathers is that he wants not only for us to understand, and in a sense, this is what he's doing. He says, I want you to understand your position in Christ. You've been forgiven. You're strong. I want you to understand your power in Christ. You've overcome the evil one. You have the word of God abiding in you. But he says here, interesting in verses 13 and 14, when he writes to the fathers, and I hope, you, I hope you see this because he says, I am writing fathers because. I am writing young people because. I am writing children because. Because why? Because I want you to know this gospel. I want you to know that you're not loved more because you went to church this morning. I want you to know your love because Christ has provided for everything that is necessary for God to work in your life now and forevermore. And so he says, fathers, 
I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. You remember what John said at the beginning of this letter? He said, I want you to know him. I want you to be intimate with him. And I think there's a sense that, that we don't have to grow up and be grumpy old men. We can grow up and be more tender. We can grow up and be more intimate. We can grow up and be more gracious. We can grow up and be more kind. Because what John is saying here, I write to you, fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. And all through this letter that John writes, he writes about the tenderness that the fathers have experienced with, with God. And that tenderness comes, as John in the first four verses of this letter says, we have touched and handled and, and we've seen him and we've heard him and, and we want to share that experience with you because the very love that we've come to experience, we want you to know. And when you know that love and you love in response to that love, because it's not that we first loved God, but it's that God first loved us. When we love like that, we love each other and the relationship of one another becomes an intimate relationship. And it's more not about winning arguments, but it's about being gracious and compassionate and good. That's the God who's given his life for us. And so I, wanted, I want in that sense, and I was sort of joking with Ryan, Ryan, I think I'm closer in age to John than I am to you. So can I take this, can I take this passage and just give an old man's version of John? Because I've been doing this Christian thing for 50 years. And I've experienced all kinds of heartache. And I've experienced all kinds of legalism. And I've all experienced all kinds of self-righteousness in my own life. And, and a lot of control and a lot of do this and do that that's based on a religious attitude. If you just do that, you'll be a better Christian. There's no such thing as a better Christian. You and I are the best Christians we could ever be because of what Christ has done. Now let's live that way in the freedom that we have in Christ, not in the works that some religious Pharisee has asked you to perform. You see, when we begin to think that way, and that's what John is doing here, he wants to change the way that we think so that we're a gracious people, not a religious people. And when we live that way, then we're as bold as a lion. We charge hell with a water pistol. We don't care what people say. We live because we know that God loves us and we're free in Christ. And there's not a conversation we can't enter into because it's not about how smart I am or how much I know or how much I don't know. It's about the freedom I have with Christ to love people. And because of that, I want to learn more of him because Jesus said, come and learn of me. It's who are you today? Uh, uh, um, are, are we a people who are children? And maybe there are days where, where we're like that. We're like, we're like the disciples in the boat. Remember them? There's a storm coming. They're like freaking out. Jesus, don't you care? I, I want you, and I want you to do it now. That's what children are like. And then Jesus calms the storm. Because Jesus does that for children. And Jesus wants to do that for you when you're a child. He wants to remind you that your sins are forgiven. 
on account of his name. And when you get in that battle as a young man and you want to put your chest out, you want to take control over the situation because you know the verse, John is wanting you to know this. The victory that you have is because of Christ. You have the word of God abiding in you. You are an overcomer. You're strong in him. And when you're feeling old and retired, <laughs> would you live, please? You got more time to be intimate with God than you had before. Amen. Press in. Take those moments to pray. Memorize that verse. It could sharpen that mind. Listen to him. And wherever we are, it's an opportunity to become more what God has already made us to be. So those three truths are foundational to our Christian life. The forgiveness you have in his name, the power of that abiding word to give you the strength to overcome through what Christ has done, the evil one, and the intimacy. Believe me, after all these years that I've been doing this, I love the place I am in today more than the place where I was scoring touchdowns for Jesus. There is an intimacy that God is calling us to that we'll never experience unless we let his grace and his performance and his truth to be the very foundation of our life. So when we think about these things that John is saying to us, I would, I would hope that, that we remember that your Christian life, my Christian life, it's a journey. We're talking with Jim Horsley about Mary's journey on the donkey. And I was thinking about your journey and my journey. Think about how difficult the journey can be sometimes. But think about Mary. It's, it's hard enough, not that I've experienced it, to carry a baby in a womb. But can you imagine now riding on a donkey to a place that you've not chosen only to get there and discover there's no room in the inn? And I think the devil wants to emphasize those things in our lives. But John wants to em emphasize the foundational truths that help us discover that who we're becoming is what Christ has already made us to be through the finished work of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to these truths and we ask that we would live a life that is filled with everything that you've provided for us. And Lord, I, I pray as, as I pray this morning, God, I want to I pray A.B. Simpson's prayer. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now Jesus himself alone. Once twas painful trying, now tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, now the uttermost. Once was ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once was constant drifting. Now my anchor's cast.
once it was my working, hence and hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the powerful one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. God, may we continually live our life where it's Jesus who is our beginning, who is our journey, and who is our end. And Lord, no matter where we are on this journey, may we remember that our sins are forgiven. May we remember that we are strong through the word of God that abides in us through the spirit that has been given to us and we have victory over the evil one. And may we remember that we can have intimacy with you. Not by what we do, but by what you've done. So help us to press in to the beauty of the gospel and what you've done. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.